Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast. This is a show where a couple of visual storytellers get together, take on various topics that tend to cross your path when you embark on this adventure of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is... Uh, hello, I am Rob Stenzinger. I'm an interactive storyteller. I teach and coach uh, user experience workshops. How you doing, Jersey? And our special guest. Welcome, Steve Hamaker. Hi. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Steve Hamaker. A lot of awesome stuff. Yeah. Do, do you have a, a pithy, like, one-line job description? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> uh, am I supposed what if to? you made one up? Right, right <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> like... Anyway, color tunist. I'm a color tunist. How about hey, that? That's, a, wow, that's good. I used to just be a colorist, but now I'm a color tunist. So, which is to say that I do cartoons too. I draw yeah. and I color, not just color. So, and you do the comic called Plocks, which yes, two books. Is that what, what was the website uh, that is uh, uh, Plocks dash comic? That's it. Plocks dash comic. Yep. There's two, almost two books. The second book will be done uh, maybe in a couple months. I'm trying to uh, chip away at it. Uh, I had to take a break because I got, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, get a book deal illustrating a book for Viking books called the Pathfinder Society. So we pull that that's up been too. my last two years. Yeah. That book comes out April 21st and I think it's okay with the COVID <laughs> situation. I think it's already <laughs> I think it's already here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so we have it up uh, on knock the, on wood. Let's up, we have it up on the screen right now. So I wonder if you could tell us what the Pathfinder Society is, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But what's what's the the big the idea behind Pathfinders? Uh, it's a it's kind of just an adventure story. It's for uh, the young adult uh, middle grade uh, age group, and it's about uh, five kids who go to a camp that's kind of about treasure hunting. So they. Uh, kind of find some clues and it leads them uh, on an adventure. So it's uh, it's it's action packed and and pretty fun. Yeah. And we didn't explain what Plox was. Let's, t let's talk about Plox real quick because that was something that uh, you spent a lot of time working on this book. Yeah, I started it in uh, 2013. Well, I started publishing it in 2013 on on the website. So it's, it's self published, um, and it's a story. Uh, it's it's semi autobiographical story about. Uh, three people that live and play games in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and I originally meant it to be sort of like a, a little lighter, uh, sort of like Big Bang Theory, maybe lots of gags, lots of uh, pop culture references and things like that. But it, it quickly became more <laughs> about a, a personal uh, story about these three people that represented different aspects of my own life and my own personality. So uh, that yeah, is I did funny. that for... Yeah, yeah. Because it's like I just reread it, and boy, is it, it's 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 got the drama. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of leaned in a little on the drama, <laughs> which it I tend intense. to I, I find myself doing with other uh, other things that are uh, you know of my creations, and you know people will tell me uh, you know hey you seem you know you seem funny you're very funny in person like why don't you know why aren't your comics funny or you know or lighter uh, and even with fish and chips which was a book I self published about 15 uh, or so years ago, actually 20 years ago, uh, coming up in, uh, 2000 or 2020. Cause it was, uh, yeah, it was 2000. Um, yeah, even that book, there's like a lot of drama and I just have always been into the kind, that kind of storytelling where things seem light, light, like bone. Obviously I have an, uh, you know, an affection for bone having colored that. 
Uh, and Bone has that. It has humor, but it also has a lot of drama, a lot of uh, edge of your seat uh, action and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But with Plocks, I did not expect it to be so personal in terms of things that I actually personally went through. A lot of times I don't like comics or don't like telling comics in that way. But the fact that they were three characters that don't don't exist, they're not based uh, specifically on me or even anybody I know. They're kind of an amalgamation of lots of my friends and, and even my own personality. I sort of split myself into three three ways. And uh, so each of those characters is is partially me. So that made it easier to tell the, that kind of a story, I think. It was also fun to to revisit the book having now moved to Columbus because I got it from you a couple of years ago and I was still living in Michigan. And then I, I, right. I reread it in anticipation of doing the show today. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is now. Oh, yeah, I know where they are at this point in the story. I'm like, I'm recognizing the different yeah. landmarks. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So that became like a lot more fun for me than doing like the pop culture references. Uh, I, I really got into um, making Columbus. Uh, a part like a character like a real yeah. a really big uh believable you know world for the characters to live in so that's that was fun so and we should say before we move into the the meat of the episode that you also stream your art on twitch and uh yeah. since we're streaming on twitch right now people are probably you know like maybe discovering you so we can point them at tw- what is it twitch.tv slash steve hammerker yep just one word steve hammerker no dashes or anything like that so Great. Uh, yeah, I, I stream when I can. It's been tough lately because I'm sharing office with my wife who uh, works for Ohio State so that she has lots of meetings and things, uh, as as you know, Jersey, because your <laughs> wife works with my wife. So they <laughs> many times have the same meetings. Uh, so it's tough to like, I, yeah, I like to talk and talk back if there are people in the chat and it's difficult if people are talking and I, I'm typing or you know, I, I, I don't feel like I have that connection. Uh, so I'll get back. To, uh, hopefully I'll get back to the, the way it was back in the day. But yeah. Cool. Uh, so what we thought would we do this week is since you are a colorist and a cartoonist and you think, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know I've had lots of conversations with you personally, uh, like, like sometimes very intense conversations about our opinions <laughs> of storytelling. Uh, sure. it'd, be fu- it'd be fun to talk about coloring and storytelling, uh, you know, from from your perspective, from our perspectives, uh, revisit this yeah. idea of like how does how does color contribute to story, but also like technically how do we do it and without going into like a full demo, maybe just like showing some of our setups and our and like a broad, quick overview of our approaches. Sure. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. All right. Well, then this is the part where I hit the music. To let us know we're in. We're fully in. <laughs> <laughs> And that's to let us know that we are now in the show. He says, dance, monkey, dance. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, all right. Uh, I wonder if we could, so like, I think the three of us work, do a lot of work digitally. Steve is Pathfinders. Pathfinders isn't a hundred percent digital, is it? Or is it? Uh, Once it's inked. Yes. Um, I, I, I do all my thumbnails. uh, Well, I, I, it's a, it's a little complicated. So on the first book, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I did some thumbnails on the computer, like directly in Photoshop, uh, you know, real sketchy. Uh, and then I would do thumbnails also that I would scan or take a photo with my iPhone or something. And then I would just, uh, import it. But this time I pretty much did everything, uh, physically up to that, that thumbnail stage. So that, that real rough, uh, you know, that, that rough pencil sketch. Uh, and then I would scan that and then, uh, that becomes my, skeleton for the inking but all the inking 
and coloring is digital. So it's pretty wow. much, pretty much all digital. So would you mind pulling, uh, showing us like what your, uh, sure. setup looks like, what a page looks like. Yeah. Let me just close some of this stuff real quick and I'll show you guys. Uh, how do I, that's the one thing I probably should have figured out is what to, how did that is how to screen share. Yeah. Which desktop one desktop two. We don't know which one is, which do we? Oh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I could pull up my yeah, clip studio page question. first while you test that, Steve. We could yeah, go that. ahead. All right. Let so me. We'll look... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I'll just go ahead and go through mine really fast. So like this is, um, I have two examples of the way I've been coloring lately. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, and you're only gonna be able to see it on the Twitch stream. Um, oh, gotcha, gotcha. So. Here is Baron von Baer. These are the sample pages that I did last year for uh, a pitch that's being out out in the market right now. And what I did is I actually just started with I have a flats layer with is just flat color, just filling in all of the shapes. We've seen this before, right? Um, and then I just make one layer over top, and I call it my watercolor layer. And I have these watercolor brushes that I actually purchased from Ray Frendon. Um, mm friendin.com uh let's go to his yeah so he has like some watercolor brushes that are like really astonishingly good um they look really natural and they interact with each other themselves really naturally so all i'm doing is i make my flats layer a reference layer which is something that clip does i don't know if photoshop does it where i can set my magic wand to interact with the layer and whatever the reference layer is. So I've got a, 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 a transparent layer above my flats layer, and then I'll just, you know, select one of the colors uh, of the characters, and then I'll just go in with my watercolor brush and just brush over top of that flat color to create my light and shadow. Uh, and I'll occasionally use the eyedropper tool to sample the way those colors are mixing so I can create a little bit of blending between the colors a, a little bit more just to give it a little bit more natural look. But... Um, that's, that's one of the setups that I've been using a lot lately. The other one that I do for Amazon Academy is also really quick and dirty and super simple is I have, a, once again, a flats layer, just flat colors on my characters. And then I create two layers, a highlights and a shadows layer. Shadows layer is, has the layer mode set to multiply and mm. the highlights layer has the layer mode set to lighten. And then once again, set my flats layer as a reference layer so I can just like, you know, easily use my magic wand to select, whoops, you know, one of the shapes and I'll go to either highlights or shadows and I actually have a color swatch um, set up where I have, you know, like sort of global highlights color, global shadows color. And I'll just go in with a, uh, a dry brush and I'll just scrub in the shadows by hand because I'm working on I'm actually working on my screen right I have like one of those Microsoft Surface type devices um, and then for the highlights I'll just go in with a gradient so like while it's selected I'll just go to my highlights layer choose the highlight color and then just drag a quick circle gradient to put a highlight on it the idea being is like these these this particular comic has so many characters in it and so much detail in it that uh, I'm spending the majority of the time doing the line art. So I'm trying to get the colors down to, can I do the colors in like two hours or less? Right. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a budgetary thing that I'm trying to, because I don't get paid for this one. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, what about you guys? I think I've got my thing working. I could try to right. get that fired up here. Let's see. Let's see if it works. Did it work? It did. We're looking mm, at yes. a page. Okay, sweet. So you guys went small. Okay, I can see now. Sweet. Yeah, so um, hilariously, I have all of this. I, I take all of my sketch layer stuff and <clears throat> reference layers, and I put it in a folder called junk <laughs> just to get it out of my out of my face. So let me turn off all that and see if I can go back and find the actual sketch. Uh, yeah, here it is. So the, yeah, this is what the all the pages start looking, you know, start to look like. Um, <clears throat> they're very, very rough. This one I actually did in, I believe I did this in Photoshop um, because it doesn't look like pencil to me. Uh, and then I have layers also for like the panel lines that I can customize. So it's consistent and I can quickly just do the, um, you know, vertical and horizontal lines, depending the horizontal lines are always, you know, they're always in the same, uh, position, but these ones always change the, uh, vertical ones always change. Uh, so, uh, um, let me turn this off and then let me turn everything back on. So basically from that, I, I'm, I'm going straight to inks. So, you know, I, I have character templates that I use to kind of help speed things along. So if I've already drawn the characters, you know, in profile, or if I've drawn a hand that works, uh, sometimes I'll just bring it in and leave it, or sometimes I'll customize it and make it, you know, make it uh, the right shape or size or, you know, uh, pointing in the right direction or whatever. Um, and then silhouettes are the same way. It's like, I have a lot of silhouettes cause that's part of my, uh, like the way I draw, uh, comics. I do a lot of, you know, profile things in the, in the foreground, the really close foreground, I'll have like profile of the face. So it looks so, like the person. So you're building like an asset bank of your characters. I have, yeah. In the first book I didn't have it, but now I've done a whole book. Uh, so yes, I have like tons. Let me show you those. Actually, I've got a couple that will will quickly um, make you understand details where here it is. So I have one with like the kids. So these are just all, all grabbed from the first book from different things that I just, you know, they were drawings that I liked and also they work for being able to customize into something else. So mm -hmm. if a character's, uh, you know, I can always flop certain, certain characters. Not all these characters work. If you flop on like, I think this kid here, his hair is kind of going in the, in one direction. So I have to be mindful of that. If I flop an image, you know, I have to redraw mm -hmm. his hair, <laughs> but, gotcha. but again, like I, the time I'm saving in just having that, that buck that I can start with, even if I'm re-inking from a, a tight, you know, ink, but making it different, you know, sort of uh, tweaking it to, to, you know, for what it needs to be in that scene. It's, it saves so much time. Uh, and also just, it's not, it's, it's more of like, um, it's time, but it's also like, and you guys will probably understand this. It's like your bandwidth or, or, or your, the, the amount of thought that you have to put in. Uh, and it's like an, an energy thing. So if I have to draw like the same face 50 times, I'm going to lose, lose it by, you know, <laughs> fa face tw 12 is it's over, you know, I'm going to be so, and then I'll just, I'll end up like quitting or not doing as much work that, you know, as, as I should in that day or, or week or whatever. So th this is, has been a way for me to circumnavigate that sort of sapping of my energy and my bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been great. 
but I have this, I have these templates for all, I can probably just pull these up like this. So I have characters that um, whenever I have to create a new character, I do this kind of a thing where I just sketch them and send them to the authors and they approve or give me, um, give me notes. So these are characters that are new for book two. Um, and uh, that took me probably just this process took me about maybe three or four days of, of only working on that where I was doing reference hunting and um, there's objects that I have to, get reference for. I've been using uh, Google SketchUp for a lot of sets. So I'll build a set if I know that the characters are going to be in like in a room that's like a library and it's got lots of books. And and if they're in that room for more than, you know, a page, you know, it's, it's probably going to need, I'm probably going to need like, you know, like a corner so I can move around. So I, I've been using SketchUp like crazy. Uh, I built a robot in SketchUp for this book. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, these are so. This was a detail that I left out on one of the characters from book one. I had to go in and put the strap on every single, every single time this kid Harry had his strap on uh, on his shoulder. It I had to go in and like put this, <laughs> like delete the thing that I drew, which didn't really mm. even work. Like it was in the wrong perspective and everything for most of the pages. <laughs> so that was like. <laughs> After I'd finished inking the whole book, I had to go back and do this. That was a lot of fun. Um, wow. So yeah, all these characters. So this is a, a good example of just the, what I had for the first book was just the blue line. Uh, and then the, the black on the side here is um, what I've added just to make things go faster for me. So, yeah. So it sounds like the, the, the go faster aspect uh, of this investment, it's like you're, you're laying a foundation to have things that are well you know, planned out via model, but then also this, the asset library. Yes. Is this something that you, uh, do you have a, like a detailed process? Like do you check some boxes to say, ah, now I'm ready? Or is it something that you're feeling out? And what, what happens where something goes, ah, time to make a, Time to plan ahead or do an asset for this. Yeah, I, it, it does. It kind of happens uh, as I go because I I, ha- I don't really jump around too much. I, I've been jumping around in the inking process, but when I'm in the writing or in this case, uh, following a script process, I just go kind of linearly. Like I just go page one, page two, page three. I don't jump around the script. Um, it's easier to keep track of you know um, just where the characters are, the momentum of the action if there's action you know like what happens in the last panel of this page and what happens in the first panel of the next page but at at this process sometimes it is like oh i need i need uh dog uh, footprints you know for this page i had to like quickly go to google image and just find something that worked uh or you know sometimes i have things from book one that i can use and and modify but yeah it's it kind of the only thing that i did for this book ahead of time were was a couple of set pieces were new and I knew that I was going to have to design some stuff from the, just from the script before I started drawing anything. Uh, so I used Google SketchUp uh, and kind of took a couple cause I was waiting for the script to be finalized. So I, I, instead of doing nothing, uh, I built some sets and I built a, built a robot and some other stuff. So to get that, you know, going. So in that case, it was easier for me to do it ahead of time. But when I'm just doing page, you know, page by page by page in the inking process right now, I'm, I'm pretty prepared. And if there's something that I don't have, it doesn't take me that long. Cause I've, it's like a muscle uh, flexing sort of thing. I've been doing it so much now that I, it's just easy to go 
know where to go to find the reference I need, that kind of thing. Oh, I, that's, uh, yeah, it seems, seems pretty flexible and, and pragmatic, that approach. Um, is there, uh, what about, so when I, when I enter a, um, a need to color an illustration, uh, I, I start getting um, kind of tangled up sometimes about mood and color relationships. And I know that if I do a little bit of planning ahead, kind of like what you're describing, I feel like I'm often more successful. But um, I'm just curious. So what's, what's your approach as far as uh, getting set up for being successful with the coloring stuff? Um, that's a good question. I guess the, the biggest, uh, example of that in my career so far was probably when I was doing bone and we would have meetings, Jeff Smith and I would have meetings before we would start and he would just kind of, I would go through it and I was already very familiar with the story. So it's kind of a different scenario than a lot of books I've worked on since then. Cause you know, you don't always get to see the artwork before the artist just sends it to you on Dropbox and you just have to start coloring. But with Bone, it was like I had read it in black and white probably five times before I had uh, started coloring. So we would just go through each book because uh, Scholastic published those in, in the uh, nine volumes. So they were like 250, I think, page books or so. Uh, and we would just go through each chapter. And what do we, we want to do with this chapter with color? Like, what are we thinking? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was very much like, this, you know, you'll, you'll get this. It's fine. It's just, you, you know, we would get into a rhythm where it'd be like, it's daytime. It's in the woods. Like there's not much you you need to do with that. Don't, you know, we learned when to be clever and when to not be clever. Um, But that process was very collaborative with he and I in in that we were trying to come up with uh, like themes, like you're talking about like color schemes and themes for, for scenes that were going to help the story in a, in a deeper way than just make it pretty. Uh, so that was kind of nice having that ability to sit down with the author, you know, and really hash it out and, Oh, you know, it's, you know, what time of day is this? And sometimes I would get it wrong or or not get it wrong, but I would misinterpret it. And he would say, actually, it's actually not sunny. It's, it's like cloudy, like even, but in black and white, you don't, you don't, you can't, you don't see that, you know, you don't feel that. So he would have to sort of tell me like, don't make it like a blue sky, make it like a gray sky. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was that preparation was crucial, uh, but it also tr- sort of trained me to like that process of coloring bone with Jeff trained me for the way I color everything now. So it's hard to like describe <laughs> like what that process is now because it's so I've iterated and iterated and iterated on it uh, for years. So um, you know, like working on Hilo is different. Working on Table Titans with Scott Kurtz was different. Um, so it, it it's tough, but the preparation thing is, I think is very fun and, and can be useful for sure. Just to get, give yourself an idea of, you know, this is going to be a, a blue scene. Like I'm going to, I'm going to push it blue, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, could you just show us very quickly before we uh, look at Rob's setup? Uh, sure. What, what does your coloring setup look like when you're doing that? Once you've got like the digital drawing part done. What's the coloring part? Like? Uh, the coloring for Pathfinders has is pretty uh, pretty straightforward. I, I don't have a lot. I usually have um, uh, inks for each thing. I have uh, special effects inks that just in case I want to change. It's usually if it's overlapping, you know, the characters, or in this case, it's overlapping another uh, ink layer. Um, and then the kids are all on their own layer. Usually, the word balloons are with the kids layer, um, the kids inks. And then the backgrounds are also 
um, separate so that I can, because a lot of times I like to uh, change the color of the line if, yeah. if I need to push, push things back. Um, and the, everything being black line, line art wise uh, can make things flat or seem flat. So it's pretty simple though. It's, it's very much like just spatially, everything's spatially related. So the characters, the you know, foreground, middle ground, background. Um, and usually for the background, I only have one, just one layer, just, it's basically just the outline of the, of the panels. Uh, Cause I can just kind of select the panel and go in there and noodle, you know, noodle the rocks and, you know, put some texture on it. It's, it doesn't take as much, you know, thought in terms of, making my layers really complicated. And I, I've seen your process before uh, with other people, Jersey. And I agree uh, that the having like a, a highlight and a shadow layer for every like character is very, it makes things very uh, a lot faster. And I have had to do that before on projects, but for my own stuff, I don't, I don't generally do that. Um, I don't really know if, I don't know why. I don't think I have any kind of snot, snotty reason for it. <laughs> I just don't, <laughs> just don't do it. I wish I could be a little snarfy about it. Like, I would never do that, Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you are undermining the palate. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, gonna... It seems like, like a, lot of, a lot of your work that, that I've ex- explored, Steve, that um, you, I don't know if this is, uh, just uh, like a natural thing or what have you, but there's, uh, you seem to have an affinity for uh, like atmospheric perspective where there's just, it's like, there's, I can see, I can see the air in your drawings. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. like, hmm. yeah. Well, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I wish I was doing that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you are. It's just, it must be like a taste thing or whatever. Have intuition. You, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that makes me sound amazing. So I'll take it. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I do care a lot about, I do care a lot about depth. I think depth is probably the biggest thing with, with coloring. Uh, and I, like, I do little things to, to create that beyond just things in the foreground are, you know, brighter and more colorful and things in the background are, are neutral colors. I like to have, um, I have dedicated texture files for, like my characters and dedicated ones for background stuff. So the background stuff is usually like chunkier and more like watercolory. Uh, and, and you could, sometimes you can even see like a, like the, uh, the tooth of the paper of whatever uh, texture that I, I use. Some of, some of which I cre- I've created, some of them are things I've found and, and modified for my own use. Um, but my character texture is just enough of a sort of a wispy brush that you can't really see it, but I feel like people can feel it. I'm hoping, and maybe mm. that's part of what you're, uh, maybe that's part of what you're feeling. Uh, I hope because that sort of organic uh, texture on the characters and backgrounds and those being separate, I think, gives it just a little bit more life. So that's what I'm. I'm really just going for making the characters look alive um, than more than anything. So. That's really cool. I, so that that's interesting. The that it's I think it has a like a yeah a huge effect of of just giving a lot of impression of of um of yeah there isn't a flatness right there is like there's 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 air there's moisture in the air there's atmosphere in like sure. in all the stuff that I that I've seen yeah yeah see like there. this you can see the yeah you can see the um texture I don't know if you can see that very well but um I think I can just turn this off. 
me see if you can just see this texture real quick. So this, that's the, the character texture. So you can kind of see it's real subtle. It doesn't, it doesn't do a ton. And when I set it to overlay um, and then bump, bump it down to like 40%, it's, you can almost not see it at all. Uh, but I just feel like it gives it just a little bit of a, I, what I'm really trying to do or why I started that wasn't necessarily to, to, you know, bring life, breathe life into the character. It was more so that I do, I don't want it to look like I colored this digitally. So that's why like, I, hmm. you know, I love textures in the background. I, I like, you know, that's just a gradient. This blue background is just a gradient, but with that, that brush texture, it just has more life to me. Um, yeah, it, it adds like a little bit of like the, the kind of random variation that that texture in real life has. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you look at, like but I try to use it. Street, you, it doesn't yeah, just like I try to one color gray in appropriate ways, and I feel mm -hmm. like that's the the real lesson is is do whatever you're doing, make sure you're doing it for a reason and not just like to make it look pretty. Uh, it should look pretty, but if it can help tell the story uh, or give the characters or the reader like an immersion and make those characters feel real and um, more real because they're cartoons they're not real so it's our job as cartoonists to make you believe that these are you know these characters exist in some form mm. so uh, I feel like rooting them and this this uh, this is the lesson I learned on plots really embedding the characters into a believable world um, and it doesn't necessarily even mean that you have to work tirelessly on your drawing your backgrounds, even though you should uh, try, but um, you know, there are ways to cheat uh, to, you know, you don't have to draw the same like this. I, I drew one background, you know, essentially for this page, you know, so it's like, there's the establishing shot. Now you know where they are. And then, yeah. you know, for the, the subsequent pages, I didn't have to go crazy. Um, you know, I was able to kind of copy and paste some things and use some things over. Um, so yeah. I, uh, but yeah, I think, that that organic place for the characters is really is really a big deal for me. Hmm. I like so, that. Yeah, developing a set and reusing it—that's a great idea. Yeah, I wish I could show you some of those. Um, I don't know how hard that would be. And even um, yeah, and even even the example you just shared with the that little um, that the grove of trees and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And re that's that's great. I think or, that or, one. Yeah. That one I found, I just found, you know, like an image uh, on mm. the, on Google and, and just sort of reappropriated it. Um, mm. But yeah, sometimes it's, it's just very cool. So this is the, uh, I don't know if I can show that. Yeah. I shouldn't show that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> always a, always a filter um, as far as the work we have in our. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this one, oh, this one might work. This is the drawing room. This isn't spoiling anything. Yeah, so this was something that existed. I don't know if you can see that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so this was like something I, you know, built. I just found like a room uh, that worked, and then I just added all of this furniture. So this, I found this um, painting, and I put that in. So like all the doors and the windows and stuff are... Um, let me just back all the way out so you can see the whole thing. So yeah, I can, it's just cool. Cause mm -hmm. like, you know, I can put all the furniture I want in it and I don't have to dress the whole set. I just have to dress it to, you know, the angles and, and the areas that I need. Mm -hmm. Like in the, in the scene, the characters come through this little curtain here. So mm -hmm. I added that 
I just pretended that that door was a curtain instead. So this door isn't even in the shot, I don't believe. So I just like angled. I got the angle I wanted and zoomed in. And then I just take a screenshot of that. And actually in, in this program, you can, you can uh, just do it monochrome. So it's just like easy, easier to look at and trace. Mm-hmm. So I just do that and then boom, there's my skeleton. And then mm-hmm. I can, I can customize it once I'm drawing it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like screenshotting this and putting it into the comic. I'm actually, mm-hmm. I'm actually drawing over it and making it work. Uh, you know, I'm adding my own artwork on the walls or, you know, all the things that you have to do to actually make it look like it's part of your, your background. Um, so I can show you real quick. I don't want to take up all the time here. Um, yeah, this is the scene. So this is the background. So oh, you can look at that. Yeah, that was the, that's the angle. And then the characters. So it's really like, I'm not using the whole thing, but it, it, it it's just enough of a shortcut for me to, you know, to be able to do it and to make this a believable space that these characters uh, are, are in. Uh, so yeah, these, this was what, three or four pages. Um, and this, this page had, I needed reference, you know, other reference. So that's the, uh, but this top panel I had already drawn uh, in the first book. So I got to just reuse that, which is cool. Um, so yeah. Cool. Uh, Google SketchUp. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, how about, something. how about let's in, in the, in to respect Steve's time, um, we'll put, look at your setup, Rob, in the next section after a quick break. Mm-hmm. And then we can close up with thinking about like some more of that, the, that kind of discussion you guys were having about like, why do we use color in this sure. way or that? Like, what are we trying to accomplish when we start putting color in the book? Cause, and, I, and I'm, I'm asking the question for a very selfish purpose because like, I'm still, I still feel like this is something I'm learning and I'm leveling up at slowly. Um, and I'm doing a lot of it intuitively and I wouldn't be able to defend a lot of my choices, uh, very well. So I'm always looking for opportunities to help find people who do more of this stuff to help me find language for it. So if that sounds good to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fun. Cool. All right. So, uh, we'll come back in about a minute and 30 seconds to talk about all those things. But first we got to thank some people who make this show possible. And those people are the folks who support us on Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash lean art is the website. What is it? It's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. If you believe in Rob and Jersey and what we do, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. And I want to thank five people who have been doing exactly that. First up, Nate Marcel. Thank you, Nate, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Nate on Twitter at Great Sea Monster. Nate just posted uh, some some interesting stuff for mini comics activities uh, just today, I think. And Jesse Coffin. Thank you, Jesse. Longtime supporter of the show and friend of mine. You can find Jesse on Twitter at Jesse Kaufman, K A U F F M A N. And Jonathan Warnson. Thank you, Jonathan. It means a lot to us. And JS Taskus. You can find JS Taskus on Twitter at JS Taskus. Simple enough. Thank you, JS. And finally, Gail Bushman. You can find Gail on Instagram at Nightingale Art. Thank you, Gail. And you can join them all at patreon.com slash leanitart where you will find all the shows we make as well as the extra leans, the shows we record once a month only for people to support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want in a safe place with fellow leaners. And it also gets you access to three special channels on our Discord server. Uh, there are three public ones. We'll talk about more later on in the show. And there's three private ones that are only for people who support us at patreon.com slash lean into art. Thanks to everybody who supports us there. It means a lot to us. It really does. Thank you so much. All right. Time for a little bit more music. And I did not, unfortunately, 
pull up uh, new music for Steve's appearance on the show. Uh, shame on me. Mm. Oh, know. my God. And I, normally I pull up. I, yeah, I know. So I'll just have to go to one of my Transformers tracks <laughs> to let us know that we're now in the next part. So, um, so Steve, I wonder if you could turn off screen sharing so Rob can turn yep. on his... There we go. And let's see what you... Because a lot of the things you're talking about with uh, SketchUp, um, actually, Clip Studio Paint has, like, built into it now, which is pretty interesting. Oh, cool. Like, you can, like, I'm doing a comic about a school, and there's, like, a classroom model that you can just, like, import into your scene and, oh, and turn it really? around and do all the same stuff, but it's, like, right in your document. And then you That's can, excellent. like, flip a switch, and it's blue line, and now I can, you know, work off of that. So... But yeah, when I was faced with the prospect of drawing like seas of desks, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's crazy. <laughs> so, Rob, can you? Can you uh... Yeah. Okay. So, uh, look, before I share this screen, mm -hmm. um, I want to, let's see, there's an app I use that helps me with some of the um, planning stuff with, uh, with a color palette. Um, because I'll just wander and maybe I'll succeed in getting like value um, accomplished with, with like the darks and the lights and whatnot. But then um, that doesn't, doesn't always set me up to succeed in color. So I like to use this Palettes Pro app. Um, I'm showing my iPad version of it, but like it runs on my iPhone as well. Palettes Pro. Wow. Is uh, you sort of, you start a palette and... Um, and, and you can do this with importing a picture and it'll sort of, you know, reduce it to its most common colors or what have you. So it's a nice way to say, well, gosh, this magazine cover of a, you know, whatever EGM uh, electronic gaming monthly in, you know, 1996 is a, is a great um, <laughs> inspiring thing or whatever. We have, for example, um, then, uh, you know, or like if I want to get a mood from, you know, like something off my photo stream or what have you, but, but um yeah, so then I'll, I'll assemble a palette. And one thing I've been working on lately is this: uh, is I think I'm falling in love with the overall idea of this project. So I might, because I'm like I'm getting extra things that are outside what the client needs coming to mind um, related to uh, um, arcade cabinet design. And um, so, so I've been you know navigating my way toward a, uh, a like a custom sort of nostalgic '80s feeling sort of palette. And that that app helped me a ton. And then I import that into, and I'll show you that process in, um, let's see, so I'll share that screen. And uh, let's head over to Clip Studio Paint. Oop. Here we go. Yeah. Um, and so what, um, what you can do, like once you have that palette, um, and, and to me, it's just the sanity thing where it's like, I've seen artists who are so good at just having the color wheel and they hop around and I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are you doing that? <laughs> that it's overwhelming to me. So I'm like, like for, it's like, I was able to, um, in clip studio paint just, and this works for, um, you know, Photoshop and stuff as well. I'll export it out of palettes pro. And then, you know, through Dropbox or, you know, whatever uh, file sharing mechanism, be able to then, uh, import um, this color set. And, um, and I think it's, it does well with, uh, ASO format is, is, is what, uh, Clip Studio Paint recognizes from other apps because mm -hmm. otherwise Clip Studio Paint has its own CLS file format for sharing, uh, uh, palettes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I imported this arcade 
palette and um and it's just it's nice and limited right um yeah it's interesting my other custom palettes aren't here but uh um, this is a new install of clip studio paint so um yeah so that this just oh, helps me you know pick and choose and play so here's a a, a rough a, a colored rough in progress of of the side of this cabinet um and then here's uh here's another one that i'm working on that's that's more starting from a uh detailed um pen work and i'm going to use that same palette to help me move on through this process and um and i'll experiment as far as um i'm still feeling out the art style is like well how much atmospheric perspective probably not as much as what um, steve's work has mm -hmm. but um because it's this is going to be um you know it has the job of the attention getting side of a arcade cabinet um and here's another um color rough work in progress cool and uh, wow. it's um all using that arcade palette that i've been playing with so that's uh that's nothing really too cool. fancy yeah. as far as brush texturing and all that stuff yet um right. it's it's just filling in regions a lot, a lot like a uh yeah, I think for design stuff like that, that's supposed to be like flat and and eye eye catching, it's that's a great uh, that's a great thing because I, I I I don't admittedly uh, have like a palette really for each you know scene or or anything like that. I I just kind of I do hop around a little bit, but <clears throat> for this kind of thing, I think that's really valuable because you can sort of like it's it's like you're limiting yourself to just that palette. And, and it's, it's, um, it's like, you don't have every choice. It's like, no, these are the colors that you can choose from. So I like that. <laughs> it's yeah. sort of like, it, it gives your, it gives your brain a break and, and you can, um, <laughs> you can, and, but it also keeps you on, on task, right? It's that's, uh, it keeps you on target in terms of what you're trying to get. Like you have a specific idea for this. You want it to look like a retro eighties arcade cabinet and that has a specific look and feel. So that makes complete sense that you're doing that, you know, for this project and for other things too, but certainly yeah. for that, I, it's like, Oh my God. Cause I look at it. I looked at, at what you did from that palette and I'm like, I don't even know if I would be able to do that. <laughs> like I would just find something and I don't know, like, you know, copy and paste it and paint over it or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there's a lot of different ways there and like you said it's it's giving my brain a break um because yeah. even with um so with my comic art geek zoo i did a, a few years back it was um uh it was a huge sanity saver where after the first chapter i i created a palette it was way bigger than this one this is like uh i don't know was it 24 colors or so but like that one was like 48 50 60 colors somewhere in there yeah. And it still it helped me where it's like oh this character this skin tone this this you know right. this hair color right. and all that it just it was a um it was a kind of a productivity boost I could just use the mm -hmm. eyedropper and keep yep. keep going yeah even if it wasn't a fancy imported palette it it still right and I I do that for all of my characters and I did that with Bone uh and I, I believe I did it with Rassel too but um where I have the characters all have colors, specific colors, definitely with Hilo because Hilo is a lot more cartoony. So the characters always had the same color shirt and hair and skin. Um, and then I can just, I can change things. Like if the characters go into a cave, I just change it all. You know, I just, I color it in daytime colors and then I just, yeah, you know, just wheel it, you know, and figure out what the colors yeah. should, should look like in the dark or, in a you know, maybe they're in a, a red, 
lit room or something and everybody has to be red. Uh, but it's just easier for me to color them in their home colors, I guess. And then, and then later sort of adjust it and change it. Um, so yeah, I definitely use it's, it's, it's another time savers to have that palette available. If you're, especially if you're doing like same character, you know, 300 times, it's like, you're not going to try to remember it (laughs) or, (laughs) It's even having it on a page and then going back to that page and clicking on that. And it's, it's like just having a separate file. That's a, a palette is very useful time saving wise. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about like this whole idea of like doing things on purpose, uh, like doing, like using color on purpose. And I, and I want to respect your time. I know we, don't, we only got you for a few more minutes, Steve. So yeah, we're, I think we're okay. Uh, if, if we hear screaming in the background, then we'll know that it's time for me to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hear, Another kind of transition music. The sound of wailing, wailing and gnashing of teeth, and we're, I'm going to have to bounce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, like, what kind of things? Like, uh, so I'm just maybe as like a starting point, we talk about like one of the reasons I was inspired to uh, ask you to join us was I was working on this Baron Von Bear piece that I recently mm, dropped yeah. on my Patreon. And mm-hmm. you and Anne gave me so much help with that because I was, I, when it cool. comes to color, I just get lost in the wilderness with all the choices that are available to me and I just don't know where sure. to go. So I got sure. it up on the screen on the the Discord. And I was wondering, like, because like you and Anne in particular like helped me unlock so much with thinking about color as a compositional tool. Yeah. And... Like once you once you guys started talking about like yeah the the, the so I got the image on screen of like these skeletal creatures surrounding our heroes, and um Anne was like they're just too dark they're just too darn dark and then you said the same thing to me like yeah they're really dark and what's more is like maybe you should add a little bit of rim lighting and that just totally unlocked the piece for me and then it made sense to me um, so I wonder if you talk about like color as a compositional tool and how you guys think about how using color as a compositional tool. Uh, yeah, I 100% think it's, um, it's that. And I think again, having done bone colored bone as my first foray into coloring and teach essentially learning on the job, uh, it was essential to use color to help tell the story, but also more importantly, to not allow the color to overtake the art, Mm. um, Backgrounds, you know, Jeff would have many backgrounds where there was nothing drawn, uh, and it doesn't matter black and white because your your brain either just ignores it or fills it in, uh, your imagination fills it in. So, but when we had to color it, it was like, well, it looks weird if it's just a flat yellow color. So we're gonna have to come up with a you know a way to you know fix that. Um, I'm trying to find a couple examples. I might swap. I might want to swap back to really show you guys some some things. Um, I like that approach too, where it's, it's almost, it's like adaptive problem solving is, mm. is one way to look at it because sure. it's hard to, you can't like boil the ocean to think like, well, I, here's every color problem I'll ever face <laughs> and, and a strategy for everyone. It's like, I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, can I show you guys, can I, can I show you a couple examples uh, from, yeah, please, please. okay, let me see if I can make this work again. I believe in myself. <laughs> That's how it starts. <laughs> the magic was always inside of me. Screen sharing right. mantra. Okay. Can you guys see that? Not yes. yet. Not yet. Share. Right. There we go. Something's there we go. happening. Okay. Yay. 
Okay, so this is a great example. Like you can see, there was nothing in the background, right? Mm. Uh, so we added this this separate layer that I I drew all these trees. Well, Jeff mm. helped. You know, he he did a couple too. But we would draw them. But you can see how they're not like they're purposely, you know, not there's no tangents. We're trying to you know keep keep away from tangents and things like that. Um, but it was so obvious when we looked at this uh, in black and white that something had to be done. Uh, to make that, you know, to give the background just a little bit of depth. And also like, where are they? You know, it's hard to know uh, where they are, except for this tiny little tree that he drew up in the corner. So we kind of just used that as our starting point. You know, I, I colored that, but then, you know, we came up with sort of an in-between green color from the sky color because they're mm. in, they're supposed to be deep in the wood. So it's not, it's not supposed to be, it's not even sky back there. It's like, it's just supposed to go, you know, it's just light, <laughs> right? But it's right. a really ab- it's a very abstract uh, version of that. Um, and I would probably now I probably would make it even lighter. Like I would do something like that because I'm that's I'm a little bit of a you know snob in terms of my coloring now. So this was an early piece that I did. Um, but the other pages I want to show just to give you guys another another um, idea of what color can do is. And this was a this was a, a scene that Jeff and I worked on together, and it was like our, it was I don't know what you would call that, it, it, like your come to Jesus moment, I guess, where we just realized like, oh my God, we have a tool that we can use now, which is the core shadow thing. So mm. I, I originally colored. This is how I originally colored the scene, uh, and Jeff was like, "Yeah, I just you know something's missing, and I feel like the characters could you know there's something going on in the scene." It's a very so this scene also contextually is very important in the story. It's it's the moment when uh, Thorn Grandma Ben tells Thorn who she really is. So it's very emotional, and also Thorn is dealing with just finding finding out that her grandmother has been lying to her basically her whole life, um, and for good reason. But she's mad about it because she's a teenager. So there's all that stuff going on in the subtext of, of the story, and we were we cared about that for the coloring. So we mm. came up with this, this uh, technique, which was basically just a shadow layer and you can see what it r- looks like in full opacity. So it's just, it's just gray. And we just basically made a core around, you know, the characters and then just kind of, you know, uh, deleted <clears throat> a couple areas and obviously gave it a rim, but we didn't recolor anything. We just made it, a, you know, a layer kind of like Jersey, your, your highlight and shadow layers. It's like mm-hmm. that, but it's a little bit more um, like intentional for, you know, we're, what we're trying to accomplish in this, which is we want it to, we want the colors to still come through. Uh, but it was just quick. It was also a quick way to do it because we didn't have to recolor everything, you know? Right. Um, we could just, and we could play around with the opacity, you know, like we, we were like, Oh, that's too much. You know, oh, that's not enough. You know, 40%, boom, everything's going to be 40%. And then for this whole scene, we just knew that that's all I had to do. I just had to add those layers to everything, you know? Um, and the other thing about it was we decided to use it again, but in the next scene that that's very similar to the scene, they're not mad at each other anymore. And so we, instead of hard lines, like you see all these shadows, most of these shadows, not all of them are, are pretty hard lined. The next scene that we see them in this room talking in the same kind of way, it's a soft line because we want, and it's also a little purpley. It's not gray. 
So we wanted it it to feel, we wanted it to feel warmer and we also wanted it to feel softer because that's what the characters are feeling. That's what, that's what's going on in the context of the scene. Yeah. And especially for me as a colorist, it blew the top of my head off because it just (laughs) made me, it made me realize how important, you know, my contribution to this story and any story I ever color would be. Uh, so thus began, began my, um, my snobbery as a, as a colorist, because I just get real uptight about things when I hear like that people don't, you know, take that extra time or, or, Oh yeah, I just, I just, you know, I copied and pasted this thing and it's fine. It it worked. I hate it. I hate it when people don't take it seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's how much this moment affected me in my career. Um, anyway, so it, it was a great tool, but we came up with lots of you know, tools like that, whereas like just do, and we had little names for them, you know, do the core shadow thing or do a rim light on this or, uh, and then I could know to do it for a whole scene because the way bone is kind of written, it's very scene heavy. Like they're, they're in this room for 10 pages or whatever. So I, I knew, you know, I was going to use this color scheme for the whole time. Um, and so it was very valuable for me to, to know how to, solve those problems but also how to contribute to the story it was just such a, a thrill yeah so so what i'm what i'm hearing in there is that color I mean, we know this that color makes us feel things and color carries emotion but like there's there's more to it than just like the famous amelie example of like oh look at all this in all the scene is green all the scene is red or well we saw star star wars was on your desktop you know and george lucas talked about that in the making of star wars like okay yeah, yeah like uh in uh, which, which scene was it where he was like, oh, it was in uh, Revenge of the Sith where he's like, yeah, they're fighting in hell. Yeah, I'm not hiding it. <laughs> I'm not pushing it right. right in your face. They're fighting in yeah. hell. It's, you know? it's, they, they, they might as well be made of fire. They look so <laughs> hot and red. But, but, um, but the, you, what you're pointing to is there's also like very, very subtle ways you could do it too where you're really not trying to draw too much attention to what the color is doing. You're trusting that yep. it, will, it will connect yeah. with the audience that they'll feel it because yeah. of the way they see it. But Yeah, that was the other thing that I learned early on and it's, this is more uh, self-motivated, which is le- let the art do the, the leading. It's like if you're dancing with someone and someone's leading you in dancing, it's, it's the exact same way. And so it's, it's the ultimate collaboration is to color somebody's art in comics, I think, because you have to let the art, the art's already kind of done a job, especially with bone. Bone was a very specific case. There are some artists out there that that their stuff is, is begging to be colored. It's not meant to be in black and white. So Mm. maybe that would be an exception, but with Jeff, it was like, it already works. It already works. Like we gotta, we can't ruin that. We can't ruin the, the mm-hmm. flow of the, the composition of the page and, and the scenes. And sometimes we would like, sometimes I would do something and it would be like, yeah, you have to, you have to make that like gray cause it's so bright. And I, I just keep looking at it, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, okay. Or it would be the opposite where it would be like, let's make it really bright so that you have to look at it mm-hmm. because maybe in black and white, it's actually not, that's maybe not doing this, that job correctly. Like maybe there's a character holding something small and if you can color it so that the attention is the focus is on that thing, if it if it's supposed to be, then boom, you can do it in color. So it was kind of cool to see that back and forth. Like sometimes we need color, sometimes we don't. It was like you know calling in the cavalry or something. 
Uh, well, cool. I mean, I'm hearing it's, it, there's a lot of, uh, intentionality and, uh, yeah. problem. It's like you're defining, defining a problem that the coloring can help solve. Yeah. That's yeah. a really thoughtful. And, and, and that's just it. It's, it's the it's most, it's the simplest and most snobbish thing at the same time that I can say is, is intend for everything. Like anything that you're doing intend for it, you know, do it. Even if, even if it's compositional, it doesn't have to have some meta reason for being, but, uh, it, you know, if it's a core shadow that helps amplify the attention of a scene do it but don't do it just because core shadows make things look cooler or, you know that's not a good enough reason it's got to be for the right reason it has to be especially for storytelling you're not doing you know you're not coloring or creating art for like a poster or a, a you know um you know a record album or something like that that's that's supposed to be a static single image it's like this is storytelling so the color has to follow different rules um in my opinion so mm. no i like it uh and, and i like the idea of like I I acknowledging that sometimes the color needs to st take a step back it's there's, uh, something dan mishkin and i talk uh, a lot about when we talk about comics is this idea of syncopation this this back mm. and forth kind of rhythm to um different things carrying the weight of the of the narrative right sometimes it, it is the words that are doing the work sometimes it's the images doing the work sometimes it's Absolutely. the color doing the work sometimes it's the lines doing the work right and just yeah. having that sense of what needs to really carry the weight of the moment um right yeah i like that a lot yeah because comics is is words and pictures so there's a lot yeah. going on there and it's and it's often lines and colors and so it's yeah. the same the same rule of the back and forth applies. Yep. I like that. Um, okay, well, was there anything else that we do, do, do? Do we do a good walk around this this idea of color today? Yeah, I think we did. I think uh, it was it was really neat to to learn how Steve approaches uh, solving problems with color. And I I I I like how we can talk about this topic and. Uh, we've done it a few different times and like every single time I feel a little more uh, like I understand it a little better. So I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. So Steve, if you got to go, it looks like he did. It looks like, did we lose him? Well, he's paused or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey Steve. I, uh, it looks like he says his computer shut off. <laughs> He just he messaged me that his computer just shut off. So I will let him know that uh, we're good to go and we can move on to uh, two-minute practice. What do you say after we take a break? Yeah, and we will for sure uh, mention and celebrate uh, Steve's work and ways to follow up with him after 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 that. So, <laughs> so a few more things to cover. Sounds good. Okay, so uh, let me message him real quick. No prob. <laughs> And everybody can be in on this. Thanks for being on the show. On the show. There we go. That's awesome. <laughs> it's great to have Steve Hammaker here. And uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll point people, so, and we'll link to all of his stuff in the show notes. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, oh, oh, or is he coming back? Oh. He came, I don't know. He suddenly appeared. Oh. Undefeatable. Here we are. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Well, we. Well, we're I actually... should probably. Yeah. yeah, you can. You can totally shuffle me off. I. I can. I just wanted to say goodbye. I don't know what happened. My computer's never done that. You guys broke it, man. That wow. was crazy. 
it's not your fault. Surprise. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Steve. And uh, we will, is, is there one thing that you hope people will check out today of about your work that, you know, a thing you'd like to point the leaners at? Uh, yeah, you can read my comic uh, Plocks uh, for free uh, in these times of needing fi- things to do. It might be good. So Plocks-comic.com, you can, um, there's, there should be a button, excuse me, <clears throat> there should be a button at the top. You can read from the beginning. Um, and uh, Path- Pathfinder Society is coming out from uh, Viking Books on uh, April 21st, I mm. think. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> All right. But well, thank you guys so here. much for, for chatting. And it's been fun talking comics. I love it. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for being here. All right, cool. All right. So uh, with that, we can get into our next act, uh, our next break. Let me, I'm going to, oh, oh, Rob's tablet is still on there. That's why the screen looks like that. Never mind. Leave it, leave it be. We're good. Um, Okay. So how about we take a quick break to thank some more people who make this show possible. Uh, and those people happen to be us. We make the show possible. We make lots of different kinds of things. And, uh, you know, think really hard about the stuff that we make and then bring those thoughts into this project that we call Lean Into Art. And the thing that I make that I hope you will check out is the Four Million Years Later podcast. It's another podcast. Yes, it's a very different podcast than Lean Into Art in that um, it's me thinking really hard about story and how story works, but through the lens of, or through the example of, by analyzing this cartoon from the 1980s called The Transformers, uh, Generation One series. And it's me and an old friend of mine who I've been talking about Transformers with for literally 25 plus years, uh, formalizing that discussion into an episode by episode analysis of the series. And you can find it at 4millionyearslater.com or in your favorite podcatcher. We just finished season one and we are taking a break to do to do a season one wrap-up like sort of like a broad overview how we think about the whole series so far and sort of recounting a lot of memories uh, of our childhood uh, engaged with this uh, cartoon franchise toy franchise whoops um that's gonna be a lot of fun is there a planned date for that episode to come out just dropped. Just dropped. It just did drop. Oh. Yeah, the first part. So we, we wound up spending so much time talking about it that it, it became a two-parter. So um, oh, it's an hour awesome. and a half. Hour and a half episode up now of us like recapping the first ep- first miniseries and then like spending a lot of time talking about like you know our the first Transformers we ever per- got as kids like what you mm. know what characters we had like the different uh, series of toys and uh, the comic book and how we engaged with like uh, also like the choose your own adventure books and the coloring books and etc. So wow, uh, yeah. So that's that's going to be fantastic. I, I, I've said this before. It's a, it's a great podcast. If, if you're, uh, if you enjoy leaning to art, there's going to be a ton of this, like, uh, there's just extra focus thinking on the, the storytelling analysis and the thoughtfulness. I mean, it's, it, it will apply and inform you and, and, and entertain. So check ah, it out. Thank you for saying that. So Rob, you have a whole bunch of things people can avail themselves of and Skillshare and on the store on your website. Yeah. So if you search for me on Skillshare, that's uh, Skillshare.com. Search for Rob Stenzinger. If you just go to RobStenzinger.com and you go to slash store.html, you'll find a variety of things that I make. And what I want to emphasize is the is the workshops. The workshops are, uh, they're online. Do them anytime, any day that works for you. It's very flexible. It's not a scheduled thing. So uh, you could, uh, of course, 
avail yourself of those on Skillshare, where that's a platform. If you uh, use the link on my site to sign up, you'll get like two free months and also not just access to what I make and share as workshops on Skillshare, which there's four of them so far. Um, there's thousands and thousands of others. It's kind of like a Netflix for um, uh, a, uh, I don't know, like a self-directed learning center, but like yeah, by tons and tons of uh, makers of, of this kind of content. Um, but then, of course, I also offer mine through my Gumroad store as well. So if you go to robstenzinger.com slash store.html, there you go. Convenient links to jump to any of those things, like drawing user journey maps, which is great for collaboration, mm -hmm. sketching the happiest kitty, fun activity and uh, for you and your family. And then, of course, uh, customizing your next creative challenge, and which I... I did start a creative challenge this month, side note. Um, goal setting using design plus storytelling. And that's a great sort of encouraging planning thing that uh, helps you with, hey, you got your goals. Eh, it'll help you generate ways to um, include others and help you remember them as well and, and stay connected with where you're trying to go. And there you go. Go to robstenziger.com slash store.html for easy links to all that stuff. And the last thing we hope you will check out is the Lean Into Art Discord. Yes, we have a forum now, so it, and it's free to to join. There's three public channels you can participate in, where you can like, you know, comment on past episodes or post some of your two minute practices. And then there's three channels that are available only to people who support us on Patreon. And the invite link is in the show notes for this episode, whether we post it on YouTube or at Patreon or on LeanIntoArt.com. Thanks to everybody who has been interacting with us in the Lean Into Art Discord. It's been fun talking with you people. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's time for the two minute practice. Hi, Rob. Hey, Jersey. Two minute practices. Two <laughs> minutes at a go. Uh, something that's affordable, something that is, uh, the, the, the principle is to be easy to do. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it often is. It's it's often tricky to figure out where it's going to go in the day. But mm -hmm. um, you know, like I think that's been one of the ongoing challenges for me is um, trying to make a routine out of it. Right? Like you know, they say, when you when you when you exercise, try to exercise at the same time every day. Right? So that like there's something that's right. accustomed to it. Well, what time is two minute practice time? Good question. Besides right now, of course, anytime you're listening <laughs> to this. Yeah, like for me, it, it's it's often falling into uh, when I'm between tasks. So I have my emerging task planner next to me on my desk, and as I do the different things that I have planned for the day and the things that tend to bubble up during the day, um, I'll get to that point where, okay, that is done. I'm now putting the X next to that item on my list. And I'll take a breath and I'll stretch my back and I'll say, okay, this is a time where I can do a two minute practice. Now that means that it's falling in all sorts of different time slots in the day. Right. Um, and, but mm. I, I, I wonder if it would be useful to, cause like, I think the ones I posted into the discord this past week, I posted one at like one o'clock in the afternoon and one was at five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I posted those like right after I finished them. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that's an adjustment that I need to make is like, okay, before I go do my morning run, I'm going to do my two minute practice. Then I'm going to do my morning run. Right. Like, so that mm. there's some kind of regularity to it. What do you think? I like that. I, I, I think it's a, it, that I will think more about that. 
because I've been wildly inconsistent as far as when I do my practices. It's mm. typically, it is before I engage in some other task and it's, it, it, it gets me warmed up and that works well. But then which chunk of my working day does it happen? And it really varies. So yeah. for me, uh, my most consistent, but like, I wouldn't say that this is my plan and I want to f- make this for sure is, is sort of um, my later in the evening, one more visit to my, my office and workstation and stuff. And mm. I'm like, oh, I didn't do a two minute practice today. Let me do, let me do that. And then, uh, you know, a little more writing or something or, or well, drawing and what have you. And, and it's just like before that, because it's like, oops, I didn't do it earlier. <laughs> I didn't do it first thing when I, when I visited my desk in the morning. I, yeah. So it's kind of a funny timing thing that, uh, need to think are, about more are you you're doing them by the way I, if you don't mind me asking you're always doing them in your office where i'm looking at you right now correct or no uh yes pretty much every single one okay so, so i guess i have the place yeah i wonder i wonder how that would feel see i've been doing them in different places because <laughs> we're currently under this shelter at home situation um we have a small ish apartment that the two of us are working in all day. And so um, I'm, I'm tending to move around a lot in the space mm. to um, so that, and we're both doing this so we can accommodate each other. Um, like right now, as I'm recording something, I'm in a completely different room, completely shut off so as not to um, interfere with other, like if Anne's in a meeting on, on Zoom right now, right, with work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that kind of movement is happening a lot right now, which is making that's creating an extra kind of like um, ambiguity in what my workday looks like. Um, hmm. So I'm wondering, and I'm just I, the reason I'm I'm highlighting this is just more like to open up the the question to the leaners. Where are you doing your two minute practice? If you're doing your two minute practice, is it in the same space? Is it in different spaces? And how does that feel? Um, so I'm, yeah, yeah, those are great questions. I. I think uh, I'll think about that as well, right? Okay. Where and when and, and like, how do I want, how do I want this to, to set me up? Cause yeah, it's, yeah. it's a warm up thing, but like, maybe I don't want to do one more work session at the at, at night. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, it works well when you're juggling primary projects and secondary projects, family mm-hmm. time and all that stuff. And yeah. as you mentioned, shelter in place, well, also homeschooling stuff. Too. Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. Lots of juggling going on. <laughs> For so, sure. So, what about uh, this week? Yeah, what yeah. did we do this week? We did Welcome we back. did a, a more gameful one this week. I feel like. <laughs> um, I yeah, I'd agree with that. Because I mean, it had uh, sort of um, it introduced a die, and we rolled the die mm-hmm. three times, a six sided die, and you came up with a pretty fun sort of. Um, oh, I'm trying to pull up the thing that you put together there we go um the the drawing from a randomized prompt where uh the first rule whatever number the die was corresponded to a certain kind of shape right uh, a six mm-hmm. was a blob a four was a square and you had like a bunch of different uh versions written out in the in the rules the second rule was a mood what was it one through one and two was happy what was two and three? Oh, grumpy, or no, one and two was happy, three and four was grumpy, five and six was confused mm-hmm. or silly. And the third roll determined how many of these objects, these random creatures, were you going to draw. So if you roll a three, you're yeah. drawing three creatures. Right. So, okay. and you you could do this if you if you have a dice. And uh, I ended up turning it into a little 
um, application to because Code Rob Pen. is Rob. <laughs> and I was like, ah, how could this? Uh, it, it's just funny. I, I don't know why. What, what? How do I end up in this situation? It was like, <laughs> um, actually, it haunted me. Where I've a lot of times when I first make a little system and or whatnot, it has these rough edges that I all of a sudden feel a wave of like, oh no, I sub, I, I've submit. Uh, created a thing that I'm asking people to use that has all these rough edges. What have I done? How do I make it better? And so I just, then I made this little thing where you just go to a web page and there you go. The prompt is done. Three dice rolls have happened and you yeah. can always re-roll them as well. So I'm at the codepen.io slash Rob Stenzinger right now. Um, we'll link to this in the show notes, but I'm going to hit roll the dice and see what happens. Roll the dice. Mm. Oh, it's not happening. Uh, I think you need to scroll down. Oh, Oh, so I did not test this on a variety of screen sizes and whatnot. So, oh, did uh, so the um, let's see. So you're looking at the code view. So if you go to that window where it says "roll the dice," did it? Is there anything there to scroll down? No, That's funky. I wonder. There might be a block or something like the script is not being allowed to uh, to come through. Hmm, oh, okay. Fun technology. So. <laughs> uh, which is wise if you're running some kind of script blocker. Um, I haven't run into a problem with that, but um, so if you maybe try it to uh, change the view in the in the upper part of the window. So if you click change the view, oh okay, view, okay, and thank then you. do like um, full, page. full page view. Let's see, see what that, that does. Ah, there we go. Yep. Okay, I just was in the wrong view. So I hit roll the dice, and it gives me one six four, and then even tells me. That it's a dot who is confused and silly. It's not letting me scroll down anymore. I'm going to zoom back. It's not back. letting you scroll down. There we go. Isn't that funny? I'm just zooming okay. back. Um, okay. So, yeah, I got one, six, and four automatically, and it gives me a dot who's confused and silly, and I'm drawing four of them. Four confused, silly there dots. That is, that's a really cool piece, of little, a little tiny piece of code. Uh, and you have to roll dice again instantly because that was one of my reports for this week's... Um, two minute practice was that I was actually using like a dice generator online. I just did like, you know, looked up dice generator in Twitter, or Google, and it oh. gave me things. I push a button, the die just shows me, but I had to keep that list next to me all the time of what the three prompts were. And so I was drawing yeah. them on my sticky note at the top as I got each roll. So like there was maybe 35 seconds of prep for each two minute practice, which is not, it's not, that that's that's uh inconsequential really in the in the, the scope of a day but in proportion to the that's two minutes exactly practice, what i'd consider yeah. a rough edge yeah. though right yes. where it's yes. like ooh i just you know shared a rough draft of a thing and and now the audience is dealing with that I mean, <laughs> you know oops so uh, you know it's all optional but still but uh, this is instantaneous like when i play with this 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 little piece of code that you made like I just hit a button and boom, it gives me my prompts. That's great. Well done. Um, so how, how was your experience with the challenge this week? I was super funny. So I didn't even engage in the challenge until after I finished <laughs> that tool. <laughs> then I, then I did it a couple of days and, um, and, uh, <laughs> and it was fun. I, I just basically, I was so distracted with the idea that I know 
the the unless you're excited about looking stuff up in a book like um but i don't even think it's a fun look up like i remember playing D, you know dungeons and dragons as a kid and like discovering something in a chart then felt exciting because it was like the dice set a thing what does the thing mean but here there is it wasn't like a cool chart to look up or whatever so mm -hmm. i thought oh my gosh this has to be fixed i did that and then i i did uh three practices and that um and it, they felt good because it was easy to get the numbers and then i ran my i i did my my uh that song that i don't think i've shared that public publicly i should post that there's the the two minute practice um background music where it's just a timer where i'm it's my voice facilitating how much time is left mm -hmm. with a little bit of background music and uh i i just did that so roll the dice play the song do the drawings and um, it was tough when there was when it, the number got high though five and six wasn't easy in my opinion yeah yeah one of mine was five and it was mm. i made uh it was five squares who were happy and so i was like okay well how can i do it there wasn't a whole lot of thinking that went on but like in the moment i was like okay do it to where you're drawing them in different sizes he was like, you only got two minutes. And it's like, okay, well, there'll be <laughs> little, little cube sheep jumping over a fence. There we go. And that, they could be happy. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I continue to have fun with the drawing ones where I get to play with my multi-pen. And I have um, a, a pen with five different colors in it that I got from Jet Pens years ago. And I use it to for my ETP, so it's always next to me. Um, and so a, a sticky notepad is always next to me. And part of the, of the fun for me is trying to, um, play, be playful in the way I use color with these quick drawings. Right. Um, hmm. how do I, you do that in two minutes? I know it's all in that one pen. So at least you're not rummaging through a pile of pens. No, but yeah, still. I would still. Well, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, I just determine like what's going to be the outer contour shape, what's going to define, what color is going to define the shape. And then if I'm going to like, so one I did was two grumpy blobs. And so it's like, okay, well, if they're blobs, they're going to have lots of dripping stuff on them. Uh, so I'll switch off to like a, between a red and a purple to do this, this, or rather it was like, it was like two different purples I was using. And then I was putting red around the eyes because that showed the grumpiness. Um, so that that part kept it fun and interesting for me, even though I knew I wasn't shipping something that um, was for the ages, right? It was just a practice. Um, and I think that that's also a nice aspect of this thing, too, is, I, and perhaps I've said this before in past two-minute practices, is we've all seen that, that and I'm guilty of this myself, I, I am busted on this, is like you post like an almost finished drawing, like, here's a sketch I did don't call it a sketch if it's an almost done drawing. You know, it's like, I know it's not like done, done. <laughs> that's, but yeah. that, that's borderline humble brag. Don't do that. And also it's, it's not entirely true. It's not a sketch. A sketch has a certain kind of sloppiness and crudeness to it. And, um, and mm. I do occasionally post my sketches. Um, but this feels more like this is really limiting me to focus on drawing sloppily for the joy of drawing. And, Maybe I'll ship it, or maybe I'll ship it in the sense of sharing it. And maybe I won't. Uh, don't have to, but you know, it's. It, uh, I feel like this is an opportunity for us to encourage ourselves and each other to share more of our sloppy work in progress and less of that almost finished drawing and calling it a sloppy work in progress. You know, I do think it is a funny world of of intense curation. 
I, yeah. I've, I've wrestled with this all the time. Yeah. I look at a lot of folks on Instagram, which they share really nice work. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate and inspired and, and like feel joy looking at the work, but like, I I'm guilty of this too, calling polished things, sketches and all that stuff. Eh. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but why not let the rough work out? And I know, I mean, it's, I, I, I do that. I, I, I mean, those sketches I did were, they're no good boss, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I posted them anyway. Yep. Um, cause I thought this is interesting as an idea, right. Mm-hmm. Where, there's a practice thing and you know, here's some, this is makes it tangible. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I interesting. So, so you're thinking about doing that more often. Uh, yeah, I am. I, really it, it's getting me into, it's helping bring me to that mindset more often. It's something that I honestly, I just don't think about during the day because in the, the rush to do the things that I, I have to do, um, mm-hmm. and manage, you know, are everybody's managing in their own way this the situation we're currently in um with shelter and home and everything um you know it's like it just it doesn't even cross my radar that like i'm making stuff i'm making artifacts i'm leaving a trail that some of the stuff is transmissible even if in its incomplete form and almost especially in its incomplete form um because as you said we're in this period of intense curation um so I, 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 I like that the practice is bringing me to that mindset. And, you know, I, I also rounding back on this idea of everybody's going to have their own way of engaging with practice. I think it's worth highlighting that, um, going back to like our talk about like whether you have a specific space or not. Um, I think that the goal of that discussion is not to come up with a best practices, but more to acknowledge that this is an adaptable um, this is an, a thing that can be adapted to a variety of, of environments, right? This is something I can do in the car when I'm waiting for, you know, like takeout or something. Um, this is something I could do at the park, right? If I'm, if I'm just sitting there and I, just, I feel like drawing, but I don't have anything um, prompting in my brain to like, get me to draw, right? So And and it's for certainly for drawing we care we're visual storytellers we care a lot about drawing in, in general in, in all kinds of forms and it can be a variety of things of, as well like we say in the introduction and um but of course we'll we'll wander toward drawing often is and that's uh, i think representative of just saying practicing and making it easy and a um flexible right to mm-hmm. get rid of as much friction as we can that um which I know a lot of it I bring myself and I've, I've been enjoying this, this experiment to just, well, running into another personality quirk. How do I work around this? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you want to do this week? Do you have any thoughts? Well, you suggested last week. I don't know if it's on me. I'm happy to dodge it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I've maybe is there something toward, um, well, either gravitating more toward drawing or new randomality or a new thing, new, new kind of experience, um, mm. you know, given our current yeah. limitations. Well, I mean, I, I wonder if there's something we can do that is less about doing something with our hands and doing something more mm. with our eyes and mind. And so it gets mm. me thinking about, and, and this almost reminds me of like, we must have done this before. 
uh, in the old Lean Into Art quests, I think I did that. Well, I know I did this as a, as an activity in my classes uh, ages ago when I was teaching comics classes. Um, is walk around where you are, whether it's at home or if you can go to a park and walk, and for two minutes take pictures of things that make you say, "Ah, that's it." Don't think about it any harder than that. Just take pictures of things that make you say, ah. And love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, you're, I mean, and it could be more, but it's it could, a two minute practice. So. Two minute practice. So let's not say any more than that. Let's let everybody engage with it in their way. But I like the idea of like how many pictures, you know, of things that make you say, ah, can you find in two minutes? Um, hmm. And, I, you know, most of us have some kind of small device that we can take pictures with very easily, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. That's fun. I can't wait. I'm going to do this one also. Every week when one of us, it's, it's like I've, I, I think, oh, maybe this is the week where I think of a different thing and I'll try. And we, you know, because none of this is mandatory. It's just it's celebrating the two-minute practice, make it cheap, easy, affordable, and all that. And, you know, here I am. I'm like, oh, now I'm all excited. I'm going to try this. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Jersey. So um, I think we're coming up on the end. It feels like we did a podcast. We did get people showing up in the uh, chat room and at, at twitch.tv slash lean into art. And somebody did ask a question. Do you want to answer it, Rob? Because I know the question's not for me. <laughs> well, um, I didn't know if it was a sincere question, but since yeah. you bring it up, yeah. um, I have uh, a few different guitars. They, they mainly have different jobs. Mm -hmm. I think uh, whatever instrument you have available to play is the right instrument. And just, you know, um, the, let's see, I even forget the, the, the makes of most of them. There's a, um, I have a five string bass, a, um, a baritone ukulele and a uh, acoustic guitar and then a six string electric, which actually has a little um, add on for, um, MIDI data so I can I can play MIDI instruments with that that's awesome and there's a drum set back there too oh yes there is the drum set and there's a cardboard know, I, tree full I, I, of I stuffed animals I don't know if it was a cheeky question or not but it, when, when I saw it I was like you know what that's week to week we do this show and there's always that's that those guitars behind you and there's gotta be people <laughs> wondering every once in a while like oh I wonder and, and I, I is, is my satisfied my own curiosity um is it is it a regular practice to take them down? Do you, do you make space for to using them in your week to week, or is it something that you get to? Irregularly? I am wildly inconsistent. Okay. Like, is it a consistent practice? No. Have I spent a lot of time over the years? Yeah, for sure. Mm. And the biggest thing I can do right now to to trigger the practice is to um, either want to teach my kids different things, and or um, need to make a little song for something like a, mm. like a project, a game or, or a, um, a video and whatnot. So yeah, making the, the need to make background audio once in a while is, is, uh, well, the themes for the Lena to art cast were written on some of those guitars. Were they not? Yeah, true. Quite true. Yeah. The, 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 the one on the far side there mm. and, uh, and I use, Oh, let's see the, the drums were, um, from loops by, it was like drumloops.com. I can't remember. Uh, what was there uh i yeah they're they're they were very good source and whatnot so that's um you know because that is way beyond my level of drumming ability even 
like being a crafty person using the digital audio workstation to try to make the most out of a rough performance, I can do barely passable drums. I am an enthusiastic drum, um, poor drummer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, gosh, Rob, I thank you for this episode and for indulging those questions uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, no problem. This is fun. Thanks, Jersey. All right. So, and I'm so thankful for having Steve on the show as well. Steve Hamaker um, shared so much of his his um, his ideas and demonstration of how he solves a whole lot of problems with I think it's overall comic um, illustration process, and then bringing in that in, in the in the color as well, which I think is the like he lays a good foundation to do the problem solving with color later on, which is, was awesome to see. Yeah. Really appreciate having Steve on the show. Me too. Me too. And I was also grateful for all of the uh, pointing at efficiencies. Like he did a lot of demonstrating how this is, this is a difficult and complex job and finding efficiencies where you can, is always a good idea. Um, so yeah, thanks to Steve too. So, and thanks everybody for listening and watching. We stream live uh, usually on Thursdays at noon Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central. And we uh, stream it on twitch.tv slash lean into art. Then we collect it as a podcast at lean and patreon.com slash lean into art. We'll be back next time. Until then, I have been Jersey Drozd of lean and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger, also of leanintoart.com. And I'm Rob Stenzinger, all kinds of places, like Instagram. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart. And you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.